0: On September 11th, 2001, um, all America they they united in denouncing a terrorist attack against uh, the U.S. and it was an attack that it was they they recognized was evil in action. And the response suggested too that that many people, many Americans, held the fundamental belief that there are there is an absolute. Uh, moral standard that we have. But a survey um, was taken and uh, Barna did a survey and suggested that, that most respondents based their response on the feelings, not on their belief system. In other words, they did it, they did two surveys. One was among adults and another among teenagers. By a three-to-one margin, most of the adults believe that truth always depends on the person and the situation. And the teens, by the same way, asked the same question, by a margin of 83% said that it depended on the person and the situation. Only 6% of the respondents said that there is a moral absolute. That's that's staggering. Uh, the survey asked people to indicate... The basis on which they make their moral and ethical choices. The most common answer was doing whatever feels right and comfortable in the situation. Four out of ten adults and one out of three, uh, four out of ten teens and one out of three adults said that was their primary consideration. Barna Organization also said that the results is a mentality that values pluralism, relativism, tolerance, and diversity without actually considering the implications of the actions or viewpoints we hold. They state that a failure to address this issue at its root will undermine the strength of the church for at least another generation and perhaps longer. Those are scary when you think about that, how our society views um, moral ethics and things like that. Let's pray and then we'll get started. I want to spend some time talking about this today. Father, thanks for your word and that that in it we do find absolute truth. We do find moral and ethical standards that we can live by, that you designed for us to experience and, and live under. And your word is our authority, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be uh, doing a little study in Second Timothy, in chapter 3. In a, in a society that values diversity, free thinking, and we have come to the point where we don't have moral absolutes and people make decisions based on how they feel and what makes them feel good, America is still the most generous nation in the world. When there's a crisis, America opens her pocketbooks and, and, and gives. And why is that? Because it feels good. To help a starving kid. It feels good to help somebody who's experienced loss in a storm. It feels good to save a whale. These are all feel-good things based on what makes them feel good, not on, on, on truth from the word and things. Well, I want to start with the last two verses of Second Timothy chapter three. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I wanted to start with these last two verses. We're going to end with these two verses also, that that just set the groundwork that God's word is our standard for moral and ethical standards and and where ideas should stem from. At when Paul wrote this letter, he was in Rome. He was in prison. It was the last letter he wrote, and so it was the final letter before he was executed. And he wanted to set, Timothy, you know, this this is what's going on, and and I want my last words to be impactful in your life. So he, he shares these things. So he starts out chapter 3, let's look up at verse 1, he says, but understand this. He, he starts out, okay, listen. I've got something really important to tell you. I want you to pay attention. So focus and, and listen to what I have to tell you, Timothy. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. How many, how many believe that, that we are living in difficult times? Yeah. Every hand is about up. It's, it's, we are. We're living in difficult times where what used to be good is now considered bad. What was not, what was bad, is now considered good and normal. And if you don't live uh, in in that way, then you're called intolerant, bigoted, homophobe, and and narrow minded. And so we live in a culture that that takes all these things that that we believe uh, God says in His Word are wrong, and they say, no, no, you're not, you're intolerant. And we, we, we don't have anything. So he goes on, says, what does this evil look like then? In, in verse 2 it starts, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. I want to look quickly at, at some of these. We're not going to cover them all. It would take it would take two hours, and I've only got an hour and a half. So, um, we want to look at a few of these and 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 just say well, you know what is and try to picture as we're going through this, what's going on in our world today. The first one, lover of self, that Paul starts out right at the beginning what the cause of all the rest of the vices are. Because when people begin to be lovers of themselves, all these other things will will naturally fall into place. It's it's self, it's me, it's I, and, and, and no one else. And when we take our focus off of God's word and who he is, and that a natural response will be that we'll begin focusing on ourselves and focusing on what will make me happy. What pleases me. And, and you, you know what the saying is, what's in the middle of sin? I is. So it's, it's important to remember that sin is, is, is always selfish. It's an affront against God, but it's selfishness. It's based out of pride and selfishness. So the others following in this list all fall in, in, under that category of, of being a lover of self. So it naturally leads to becoming a lover of money. And having a love for money, it opens up our, our hearts to the snares of the devil. We just got to have this. We got In order to be happy, I need a little bit more. This, this was made so clear to me when we moved back to the States from Thailand. We lived in a village where the average income was about $300 a year. Our kids had toys. They had slingshots and bamboo poles that they would... Carve a little wheel and t- attach it to it. They had Lego and Matchbox cars that we, we uh, people would send to us, and our, doll- our girls had some dolls. Uh, my my boys did play with machetes and muzzle. My old my oldest son had his first gun at ten years old, uh, a muzzle loader that he would go out and and hunt with that. And and th- they had very little. If you looked in their their toy box, it was just basically Legos and cars. That they had, and but yet they were just happy. The kids in the village would come over and spend hours building these these these, these uh, Lego houses and cars and boats and stuff out of those toys, and 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 they'd spend hours doing that. We moved back to the U.S. in 1993. Our our oldest son was a freshman in high school. We lived in Saginaw, Michigan, which is the heart of GM country and Dow Chemical, and so as he's going to school. When, once he got into high school, all these kids were driving all these brand new cars and they had all the latest gadgets to keep them happy that their parents bought for them because, uh, because they, they could afford it. My son came to me one day and said, Dad, why is it that we're struggling so much? Didn't we give our lives to serve the Lord on the mission field? Shouldn't we be having all these blessings and, and things? Shouldn't we have, you know, why, why are they, why are they getting all this stuff and they're not even Christians? And here we are driving an old truck. And, 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 it just began to see, you know, this is the world's snare. This is the snare of the devil. We were happy. We did all kinds of stuff as a family. We loved, we loved life and, and we loved our ministry and things. But as, as the world starts to creep in to, to their lives, they began to question the satisfaction or, and they became a lover of money. That's all changed now, thank goodness. Praise the Lord. Next thing he talks about is pride and arrogance, and they go hand in hand. When someone is a lover of self and money, they assume that the world revolves around them. And that, and that you see that so evident, that people care only about, you know, <laughs> I had, I told you about my friend once before that lives in New York, but before he became a believer, he was convinced that he was the third smartest guy in the world. He had his master's degree in English and, and he was so Stinking smart that, that nobody could keep up with him. He said, with, knowledge is everything. And once he became a Christian, he began to see, wow, I really don't know a whole lot. <laughs> when I read the Bible, I really don't know a whole lot. That's changed, but, but he believed it. And that's the snare that a lot of people fall into because they're educated and they, and they, they begin to think that the world, they have all these rights. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. Um, we see that on, uh, on, with, the, with the poor, with the medium, with the middle class, and with the rich. This pride and arrogance that goes hand in hand because they have are lovers of, of themselves and lovers of money. Then he goes on to abusive. Abusive shows itself in many ways. Bosses take advantage of their employees. Uh, parents are abusive to their kids verbally, to their spouses physically, verbally, and, and just we see this over and over. It seems like it's uh, kind of rampant these days. The next one scares me, disobedient to their parents. And, and the disrespect that I, I see among families these days, it's, it scares me. Because what's going to happen next generation if, if, if the kids today don't respect their authority figures in their, their home, school, police officers, and government, what's going to happen to their children? It, it it scares me. And it's it's a crime. Te- what teachers have to put up with in, in public schools these days that they can't do anything about. The disrespect. And, and when I was in high school, we won't go any further. If I needed it, I got it. And we'll just put it that way. But in Deuteronomy chapter 21, the Old Testament gives a, 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 what disrespect and disobedience what the results of that were. So just jot those down, those verses, and read them sometime when you get a few minutes. Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 to 21. We're not going to take the time to look at those today. Then he goes on, he said, ungrateful, unholy, without love, and unforgiving. Those are are very self-explanatory because they need very little explanation because someone who's ungrateful is is a person who's self-absorbed and living an unholy life and they don't seem to care about anyone else but themselves and are, uh, are unforgiving and they hold grudges for a long time. I don't know if you've ever seen that in, in other people's lives that that hold grudges and, and I, I have a friend, that uh, a believer, supposed to be, that they, she's held a grudge against me for, oh, well, it's been probably twenty over 20 years. I've tried to call and apologize and, and get things straight, nothing to do with me, will not talk to me um and it's it 's because of something I said when I was immature and young and and, and trying to help them, but it, it came across wrong and and uh, they've hated me since then slanderous the next one people cannot control their tongue. you see this a lot um, even even when you come up to a, a you know you get cut off on the road you hear not just slanderous by their tongue but by their fingers and and, and reactions, too. You, you get a lot of this stuff. And people talk behind the backs of people, gossiping, and, and trying to uh, make themselves look better. This is how, how it works. I, I, being in the, in the corporate America, for a while I saw this, that they would talk about somebody because it helps make them look better, and they can get a, get a promotion and, and get a job, a higher promi- promotion in their job. But how often do we do this in, in, in the Christian circle? I just want to mention this because we've, we fall into this at times. Let me tell you this. Don't tell anybody else, but so-and-so is getting a divorce and and uh, she actually pulled a gun on him. And and so in the name of, of prayer, you know, they, they, they share these things that are really unnecessary. And, and because it, it, it's slanderous. It might not even be true. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, but it's as we look at um, in in Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty nine, it says, "Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may grace give grace to those who hear." So we got to be careful, even in, in in the Christian circles, about slander. Self control is the next one that I wanted to look at, and and. Um, This is somebody who lacks the ability to, they, they can't find satisfaction in the word of God. They can't find it in, in, in relationships that God has given them. So they just, they go off the deep end and they do things that are, are, just lack self-control. Uh, Jerry Bridges writes, he says, self-control is the exercise of inner strength under the direction and sound judgment that enables us to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. That's self-control. And we need to start at an early age with our kids to teach them self-control. And And uh, Daniel Webster, this is Daniel Webster's long gone by now, but he says, educate your children to self-control, to the habit of holding passion and prejudice and evil tendencies to an upright and reasoning will. And you will have done much to abolish misery in their future lives And the crimes to society, because as you see, people that lack self-control, this this hits home in many many respects of of people that I know in my 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 own relatives, who lack self-control, and you see them how that they fly off at the handle at the at the smallest things, and they can't they don't they don't control themselves. Just had situation within the church last week. Something came up where. Somebody lost it and, and they, you couldn't, you couldn't console them. They were just out of control. So self-control is one of these things that people need to learn at a young age to learn to control them. So it goes on, these go on and on, these, these, these traits. And I'm not, we're not going to cover anymore because it would take an hour to do that. We see this, if you, if you think about it, these ones that we covered, think about people that you know and how that this is evident in their lives, but now turn that mirror just a little bit toward your own heart and and examine your own heart. And I'm sure there's going to be some tendencies that that we all experience in our own lives of areas where we're we're weak. We find ourselves lovers of money. We find ourselves being um, abusive, not lacking self control, and and things like that. But what he's talking about here is not those tendencies that we may have. He's talking about people who habitually live in this way. And that, what does he say to do about this? You know, they have, in verse 5, it says that they have an appearance of godliness, but deny its power. You know, they they put on a front, They, they play the part when they come to church, but they don't experience the power of that gospel in their life on a daily basis. What does he say to do with them? The last part of that verse. Avoid them. He says to avoid them. Because what what is it going to do? It's going to tear us down. If we see people who are saying one thing, but living another thing, another way, it's going to influence us, and it's going to, it's going to drag us down. We need to be bringing them up. So one thing in the next verse I want to clear up for you ladies, because he goes on to say in, um, in verse 6 and 7, he says, From among them... There are those who creep into the households and capture weak women burdened with sin and lead astray by various passions, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Now, these women that he's talking about are, are not godly women. They're women who are struggling with sin, struggling with their identity, struggling with areas in their life, and they're opening, you know, they, they have these guilt things going on in their heart and so they're trying meditation, or they're trying this book, or they're trying this religion to try and and cover that that guilt. And so they take they allow these false teachers, these people who um, have a form of godliness but don't experience the power of it, who are teaching falsehoods into their homes, and and they have Bible studies and and uh, you know Bible studies, but they're actually corrupting them and drawing them astray. And so that's what he's saying, and and I just want ladies of Cornerstone to take heart because I, I, I most of you I, that I know know the Word of God, and you live it. And so as we get into this, you're going to understand that more. So as he's talking about, he's not just talking about women in general. He's talking about these women who are struggling in these areas that they're being drawn um, drawn away. He goes on also the next section and talks about two guys in there, uh, Janus and Jamborees. These two guys were during the time of Moses, and it says that they confronted Moses and opposed him. This is the only verse in the Bible that these two guys are mentioned. I looked it up. It's the only place. So these guys must have been some bad dudes to be remembered all the way from Moses' time to now that they opposed Moses and his teaching and, and what he was trying to do. And and that, that's all I'm going to say about those two guys. You could do a study on it and you won't find anything. That's just mentioned, the only place there. But he goes on. This is where I want to focus. He says, you, however, he says in verse 10, and this is really important because the word however takes it from that negative part that we looked at at the beginning to now turns it and, and say, okay, now, however, you, This is what I want you to focus on. So he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. He goes on and on. And so Paul is challenging Timothy. I don't know if Timothy was discouraged. He says to him, Come on, son. You know, you've been with me for a long time. You remember the things that I taught you. You remember, you know, how I acted with integrity in front of you. You remember how uh, you know my aim, my purpose in life was to share the gospel with with the Gentiles and and my faith. How that in troubled times when I didn't see God answering, I still had the faith in God and and my love for people. How that the Lord gave me a love and a concern for people where before I wanted to kill them. Now I'm 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 preaching to them, and just His steadfastness. How steady He was all along the way. So what's more. Uh, Timothy was around Paul through all this time that was going on and and he taught him all these things and he wants to remind him that he shouldn't be surprised when when persecution happens he said, you know what indeed all who desire to live a godly life in verse 12 there Jesus Christ who follow, a, a desire uh, live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted so he says, don't be surprised you know I'm going through it. You're going to go through it. So I don't know what Timothy was going through at this time, but it, it might have been been some heavy things. And he goes on and he says in verse thirteen, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So he says you're you're, you're going to face these things. The people are going to come around you. You're going to face the persecution, and these people who are deceiving are going to get worse and worse and and. And people are going to follow them. Do we see that today? Man. I, I think of, of some of our, our, our pastors and, and church leaders that we have in our country today and what's happening. Uh, we have one that uh, respected pastor who does not believe in hell. He teaches it. That it doesn't exist. That God is a loving God. That all, all, all everybody will end up going to heaven. Who wouldn't want to follow that? Who wouldn't want to get out of hell? Then we have we have a number of, of 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 pastors who have taken on the what's called the soft prosperity gospel message that uh, that God is, is out there ready to to bless you and and provide all your wants and and they're driving they're flying around in Lear jets and going from meeting to meeting because of of the people are flocking there and giving them money and and they're able to to do all these things. And, and so, these are respected people that people love to attend their meetings and, and they have a following. But they're perverting the gospel. They're per- taking the truth of the gospel and making it fit what they want to say. So he says, Timothy, you've been with me. You know the truth. You have been around me and, and don't get sucked in by these false doctrines, these things that are not truth from the word of God. that's why he goes on in in verses 13 and 14, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Christ Jesus. All of us are susceptible to, to the cunning craftiness of the devil of false teachers but the only way we can defeat that is to to what we need to know what the word of god says okay so there's there's two elements that we we need in order to live a faithful life the first one we need to possess the knowledge of the truth we need to know what the truth is from the word of god the truth enlightens us to um, to be able to discern the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, and good and best. Because there's some good things that people are doing, but it's not really God's best for their life. So it, as we study the Word of God, as we get to know Him, as we sit under some good teaching and, and ministering to each other, we learn these things, and we can discern those truths. We have a knowledge of the truth. And the second thing is that we need to possess the conviction or belief. We can all have knowledge in the world, and we can all have knowledge of the Word of God, but if we don't have a belief system that that knowledge is drawn from, it is worthless. It is a bunch of facts. And everything uh, everything we do is based off of our belief system. You understand? Uh, we're going to get into that in, in just a little bit. So, like... If if somebody um, believes that in order to keep the lifestyle that they are living, they need to go to work, they need to get raises because the cost of living goes up, they need to get a raise. So our belief system is is that you work hard, you get a raise, and and, and then you can continue the lifestyle that you're living. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's that's a belief system that we have. I believe that diet soda is going to help me lose weight. That's a lie. I believe a lie. It doesn't. It just doesn't have sugar. It has other things to kill your brains and it tricks your mind to think that you're... Anyways, it, it doesn't work. Look at me. Um, no one... This is important to understand. This is. This is probably one of the main things I want you to understand today is that no one acts contrary to their belief system. In other words... We may say that we love Jesus, but the way we act, the way, what we believe in our heart, we may say these words, but how our actions portray it says something different. We always act according uh, to our beliefs. If we don't believe that Jesus can provide our needs, then we're going to try and connive. We're going to try and sell things. We're going to try and. and Get the system to work for us in order for, for God to supply for us because we're not trusting. That's our belief system. We don't believe that God can do it. We say it, we say God can, but in our heart we're not believing it. So that lives, that's lived out. Our beliefs, we live according to our belief systems. If, if I believe that God wants each of us to, to be a minister of the gospel, as the word of God says, that each of us are to minister to others around us, if I believe that, I'm gonna do it. If I say I believe it, but I'm not doing it, then our belief system, we're believing the wrong thing. That's why we don't share the gospel with our co-workers. That's why we don't share the gospel with our neighbors. That's why we don't reach out and, and, and help these people or that people. Because our belief system tells us to be selfish and to live for ourselves. That's our belief system. We think we, we believe that we should be teaching the gospel. But if we really did believe it, then we would do it. That's what he's saying here. He said, you've believed these things. You were taught these things from your childhood. I set an example for you. Your mom, your grandmother set an example for you. So let's start living these things out. So in order to, to land this plane, uh, the last two verses, I want to, I want to bring those out again. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And, in, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Another version puts it, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So it all comes back to the Word of God. I was, I was counseling with someone the other day and, and they kept saying, well, I believe this. I believe, I said, okay, show me that in Scripture. Where does it say that in Scripture that it's okay to believe like that? If you can show me in Scripture, then I'm going to change my, because everything, everything we live by should be based out of this book. So if somebody comes up and says, well, I, I believe that there is no hell, that, that God is a loving God, that he will not send anybody to hell, well, you've got to open up the word of God and say, this is what the Bible says. Unfortunately, sin abounds in this world. God cannot allow sin in his dwelling place. So there is another alternative. He talks about hell where there's fire and brimstone. So all of that, and, and we don't understand it unless we're we're in it unless we know it. So he's saying Timothy, know the Word of God. It's inspired and it's useful to teach us, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives and, and help us help correct us. So the Word of God is our source. And and anytime I, I appreciate our elder board because they, they they keep emphasizing that. We don't allow anybody in this pulpit or to teach a class that is not teaching the Word of God. Truth. We we look at all the teaching material that people are teaching, because we want to make sure that it's not corrupt. That it's it's the word of God, and and so that's important. You should appreciate your elders for that, and it, and it's important. We can detect. You know, it's like banks when they when they trying to look for fraud. They study the real thing. I went online the other day and I was looking at this, looking at. How banks study fraud, and and even the dollar bills, uh, they they headed under a microscope, and and one picture there was a, a picture of a guy's arm, and there were two fingers, you could see two fingers, and then there was a circle around it around his head. Well, the next one had one with three fingers on it, and he said these are the years from this year to this this year they only had two fingers showing. From this year to this year, they had three fingers showing. So you know what the true ones look like. And and you can then if something fraud comes along, then you're easily detected. And that's how we're to know the Word of God. That we know it so well that that if somebody is in this pulpit, if somebody's in a class, if somebody's on TV or the radio and you hear something, it sets off sirens in your head saying, Oh, I don't get that. And um when, when Tim's up here speaking, and my wife's sitting right there usually, and, and she'll get this scowl on her face, afterwards he'll always go up and ask her, did I say something wrong up there? And because uh, she, she, she's very, I mean, you, when you say something wrong, she you can't miss it. Just don't tell her to watch this video. But it's, uh, uh, it's important that we know what the Word of God says. Now, in closing, I want to just share a story and you ladies that are in the Wednesday Bible study reading through the Bible through the year, you'll understand this story and its relevance. It said, During the reign of King Josiah, who lived seven centuries before Christ, the law had become hopelessly mixed up with common opinions, idolatry was flourishing, contempt for theology was common, and there was little or no resistance to moral erosion. Josiah who was made king at what age? Eight years old. Eight years old, he was made king. And uh, he desired to be a good king, and he was. He wanted to lead the people out of darkness. He turned to the temple for help. He asked them, he says, you know, the word of the Lord could not be found anywhere. He asked them, he said, what's going on? How How do we get them out of this? And as it went on, they were renovating a program went on in the temple. At last, the high priest... Said to the secretary, I have it, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. So Josiah takes this book, he reads it, and the first thing he does is tears his clothes. Because he realized how far they have strayed away from the truth of the word. That is no different than us today. We are, our society is, is shifting so far because, because our, our people are dropping things all over the place. And uh, they're, they're not following the truth from this word. And they're, they're compromising. So we have people who, are, who claim to be Christians who are, um, are doing things that are compromising to the word of God and not the truth from his word because they don't, see, they don't see the relevance of it. They're living, but what makes them feel good? We see this over and over and over. So let's do the same thing that Josiah did. Let's take the Word of God, devour it, scan it, read it, and learn what it says so that we can change our lives and be the catalyst for change for those around us. Let's stand for prayer.